Howdy, friends, and welcome to The Story Field. This is a podcast where we talk about business, faith, and life in general. Okay, so here's the deal. We want you to be encouraged. We want you living in hope. This life we live is complex. It's hard at times. At The Story Field, you will find great stories of normal people just like us who will inspire you. Our goal is that you leave encouraged, inspired, and excited to move forward in life. But before we get started, one thing though, if you're listening and you find yourself really hopeless right now, send us an email at hope at thestoryfield.com so we can pray for you. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Hey, Storyfield. We are so glad you're listening today. Um, I think you probably should hold on to your seat because we have um, Chris, Christopher Beth. Chris, is that a good, do you go by Chris or Christopher? doesn't matter. Either is fine. Oh, okay. Well, I don't want to make sure I don't call you something wrong the whole time here. <laughs> so Chris is the founder and the, the chief storyteller and a director of the Bucket Ministry. So um, since it began 10 years ago, and I have a ton of questions on this, Chris, um, 10 years ago, nearly 800 or nearly over 800,000 people have heard Jesus um, by and through having generational access to clean, safe drinking water. Um, and that's the bucket ministry, man. That's amazing. So 800,000 plus people. Yeah. In, in the beginning years of this, Josh, um, we, we really didn't have analytics, um, exact analytics like we have right now on the number of people served. So um, that's a minimum estimation. I think it's significantly larger than that, but it's safe to say at least 800,000 at this point. Oh, wow. I mean, God, you have a God story here. So most recently, and then let's get into the story. Um, you know, you've been doing a lot of work. The ministry has been doing a lot of work in Kiberia, um, a slum in Nairobi, Kenya and Africa. So some of the worst world living conditions in that place. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, honestly, uh, the first time I saw this uh, slum and, um, you know, since these people are our friends, they're our family, it gets more and more difficult to call this a slum. But that's what the world calls it right now. And uh, Kibera is an informal settlement in the middle of Nairobi, Kenya, a, a big modern city, about six million people. But there's three square miles in the middle of the city, Josh, that there's uh, roughly 95,000 homes. And when I say home, that is a, a, a loose term because these are eight by eight or 10 by 10 dirt floor, rusty metal shacks um, that 408,000 people created in God's image have to live in this place. And what, you know, when, when you start to look at it and, um, think about what, what is it? And I used to think that Kibera was this place, but honestly, Kibera is the people because the people are the sweetest, most wonderful people that, man, they just want to hug. And, uh, when I saw it in 2017, I, I ran away from it. I thought, we're just this little organization. Yeah. What yeah. do we know about, um, you know, helping all these people in this massive place? Um, and then God kept on bringing us back there time after time. And finally, I surrendered and we did a trial 
and we introduced some water filters, did about four months work. And honestly, I asked our board of directors um, to do this because I thought it was going to fail. And I thought this was a way I could, I could get away from it. And, uh, but what we saw, it was a great big benefit to the families served. Many of them came to faith. Many of them started church relationships from this and uh, many were discipled. And now, <laughs> now we, we have a team of about 102 missionaries and pastors that are full-time with our organization serving there. And um, 99% of them live in the slum and they came from, uh, they were recipients. So we had delivered filters to them, shared the gospel and uh, discipled them. And that's how most of our team uh, got built at that point. And God called those people. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant God strategy too. I mean, so yeah, in 2022, it looks like, I mean, over 32,000 water filters in that region you guys distributed and really witnessed nearly 10,000 people, you know, make a personal decision to follow Jesus. That's um, unbelievable. And, well, you know, I, I have nothing to compare that to, Josh, and that really seems like a huge number to me, too. And I don't know, uh, you know, many churches that uh, run exceptionally <laughs> larger budgets than we have. Uh, that are seeing that um, uh, quantity of people surrendering their lives to Jesus and then able to disciple them. So it's just been this great big blessing that we've been able to be part of his work and he allows us to be part of it. And uh, it's it's just such a privilege and I'm privileged today to to tell this story with you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there's not a lot of... Um... It's it's a very if it's it's a very simple concept and that's what's so attractive to, I mean. But I know it's not simple in execution, but it's very simple in com in con like clean water and uh, you know Jesus, which is really cool. Well, take us a little bit back to, you know, we're we're both in Texas. Where did you grow up? Let's let's. I want to hear a little bit about your childhood and grow up and how you sure. ended up here, and then I want to talk about that first trip that kind of sparked everything. Absolutely. And uh, I I think my background is pretty much like a lot of people's background. And I grew up outside Chicago in one of the northwest suburbs and um, uh, had an amazing or have an amazing mother. And uh, her name is Penny. And um, uh, she uh, uh, always brought me to church. But at that point, I had no relationship with God or with the church. I was just uh, made to go, and I fully didn't understand that yet. And uh, my father worked for the government, and um, uh, so I did not have a stellar relationship with my dad, and um, he, he struggled a lot, too, with human weaknesses, and um, so while I had a relationship in the church, I did not have a relationship with Jesus. And for most of my life, um, just walked that path where um, uh, I think I knew there was a truth, but I didn't accept it. And um, I don't think I was a horrible person, 
I did things my way. I was always in the driver's seat. I was never um, really able to surrender and move into the passenger seat uh, until about 2007. And uh, I met this wonderful woman in high school. Uh, her name was Sherry. And uh, we met in 1984 and dated for 10 years before she finally said yes that she would marry me. And, <laughs> oh, praise God for good women. Uh, and we we have two wonderful children, um, two grandchildren and one on the way. And uh, so uh, just, just uh, you know, I think my, my background is fairly ordinary. But in 2007, uh, I was in a horrible car crash uh, with my daughter where she ended up breaking her back. And I remember uh, we were in a, a emergency room in Garland and she was on a stretcher and she was just screaming in pain. And I was there, I was banged up, um, didn't know exactly um, what to do next. My wife and son weren't there yet. And um, I remember the doctor coming and saying that they were going to have to start these procedures on my daughter. And uh, you know, she was uh, quite young at that time. And um, I remember thinking, there's no way I'm going to handle this. I just may pass out. And because uh, I'm information overload and um, uh, they're talking about doing these doing these tests to my little girl that, frankly, I was frightened by. And I remember I, I knelt down in that uh, emergency room hallway and I invited Jesus into my life at that point at the age of 40. Oh, my um, goodness. And, uh, I, that's at the point where I surrendered and, um, uh, it was physically, it was amazing because I felt all alone. I had to make these decisions without my wife. And as soon as I prayed that decision, prayed that prayer and invited Jesus to take control of my life, that, um, my wife, uh, walked in the door and she's a nurse. Uh, she's been a nurse for 30 years and, um, she took control of the situation, and immediately I felt this sense of relief, this burden that I've been carrying, I think, for most of my life to drive the car instead of being the passenger seat taken away. Oh. And so at the age of 40, <laughs> I, I I made a decision to follow Jesus. And then, uh, you know, we fast forward that whole process uh, for the next several years. And I tried to learn as much as I could about God's word and about this decision I made. And I did not enter active discipleship uh, for probably five years past that. So I just kind of wandered a little bit, tried to learn as much as I could. And then I started to uh, get into groups of believers and started to be discipled and uh, that's when I started to truly understand my own relationship with Christ. And um, uh, it, it was a beautiful thing once I started to uh, be discipled. And uh, so then we fast forward to 2012. And uh, my daughter went to Heritage Christian Academy in Rockwall, Texas. Now, is this, is this the same daughter who was this in is. the accent? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so her name is Savannah, and uh, she went to Heritage, and that was a very missional school. And 
they they uh, did international missions they did um local missions and so she came home one day and she said to Sherry and I that she wanted to go on this mission trip to Brazil <laughs> and Sherry and I looked at each other and we're like what Brazil <laughs> and uh we're like well she'd been to south texas i mean <laughs> yeah it counts <laughs> But Brazil seemed a little bit further. So Sherry and I, um, we decided that uh, if she was going to go, one of us was going to have to go with her. And I drew that straw at that point. But Josh, this is probably the most important part of this story. And um, uh, for all the parents, all the dads out there, I think uh, you'll be able to appreciate this. But the only reason I went on that trip is to bring my kid home. Yeah, that I know about the, that. That's the sole reason, right? And uh, even at that point, I wasn't fully um, uh, in, I, maybe maybe the word I'm looking for is I wasn't fully engaged in understanding my relationship with Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So I I went to Brazil and I did not have a love or compassion for the Brazilian people. I just want to bring my kid home. Right. And uh, that was my marching orders from Sherry. And and that's kind of how that trip started. So um, I remember we, we had these few team meetings before we went on this trip. Right. And there's all these people talking about different parts of the ministry and being the hands and feet of Jesus. And man, I was starting to feel a little uncomfortable because I didn't feel like I, I kind of fit in with this group. So uh now it's time to leave and to take that flight. And we flew into Manaus, Brazil from Dallas and um, uh, boarded an Amazon riverboat, open air Amazon riverboat. Yeah. So what does that look like to take a time out there? Like, what do you mean open air? Like for us, people who've never seen that. Yeah. So just imagine this. Uh, imagine the, um, uh, for those that know Houston, uh, imagine the hottest, stickiest day in Houston, and then multiply it by 10. Oh, terrible it, humidity. Yeah, the humidity is horrible. So just that's what we rolled into, into the Amazon basin. And this boat that we're on, uh, most of the river boats in the Amazon are three levels. So this boat that we rolled into was three levels, and uh, we have hammocks, open air hammocks to sleep on in the boat, no air conditioning. Um, and uh, so I remember we, Savannah and I were hanging our hammock uh, and it was about 11 PM when we got on the boat and I'm literally just drenched in sweat. And oh Savannah's, yeah. You're making me hot. Just talking about it. Like <laughs> Savannah's drenched in sweat. And um, then uh, I remember she came over to me and she very softly. So no one heard. She goes, Dad, we made a mistake. <laughs> oh, it's good. But I know you've got some experience with that, Josh, and uh, what what that's like in that part of the world. Hey, y'all. I just want to make an observation. When I see someone going through a legal situation, it seems like there are way too many unknowns. Well, the Allen Firm provides legal guidance so that you can make a great decision, come to a resolution, and be at peace. For more information about the Allen Firm, visit allenlawfirm.com. 
yeah yeah i got to uh i was blessed to get to go on one of those trips as well so it was wild so yeah yeah so continue on i mean you get there at 11 at night you jumped on some hammocks you, there's no hotel room and no you're hotel room so we went and what 18 do y'all do yeah on that trip we went 18 hours into the amazon basin we just drove straight through the night and we got to this uh part of the river system where they had previously identified that we were going to work and the plan was we were going to work in three to five different villages And on this boat, we had a series of ministries. We had men's ministry. We had women's ministry planned. We had VBS, a sports ministry. And then there was this ministry that they called the, um, the faith ministry. And it turns out what these people did is they went door to door in the village before the rest of the people got out and told people what they were going to be doing in their village that day and then prayed over them. And uh, it was called the faith team, right? And so uh, the, uh, the first morning that we're ready to start ministering into people, the trip leader, who's now a dear friend of mine, uh, her name is Phyllis, she comes up and she goes, okay, Chris, I'm going to have you serve on the faith team today. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I love that, <laughs> man. Can I, let me do soccer camp. And Oh she She goes, no, I think you're going to fit in great with the faith team. And she said, you just go with Pastor Ricky, and he's going to tell you all about it and show you how to do it. So, Josh, here's what we do. We're going up to random houses, knocking on their door. oh You my know, gosh we're just these giant, sweaty gringos, yeah and we're knocking on their doors. Hey, so good to meet you. Here's what we're going to be doing today. And by the way, can we pray for you? oh my gosh And... man when you got out of that driver's seat Oh, uh, hugely. that's what makes me smile yeah keep 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 going <laughs> so um, uh, we do these visits, right? And uh, as we're going throughout the day, there, I'm, I'm with uh, a man by the name of Ricky Null, Pastor Ricky Null. And uh, uh, if he's praying in the house, I'm praying, but I'm praying nobody talks to me. right? I'm praying nobody says, Chris, would you say a prayer? Because I'm so uncomfortable at this point. I'm just so stretched. And uh, so I did that for two days of this trip. And um, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I hated every minute of it because it stretched me so much that I did not, I, I, I wanted to feign that I was sick that next day. I didn't want to go out. And it was so Yeah, uncomfortable. it was way out of your comfort zone, way out of your like what you thought you're you were at as far as like spiritually speaking either too. Amen. So Oh yeah. um, what happens next is now the third day comes up and um, I remember waking up and we had breakfast and Phyllis had not done the assignments yet. And um, uh, so she's reading off everybody's name and what they're going to do that day uh, in this third village. And um, she comes to me and she goes, okay, Chris, I've got you back on the faith team today. And I thought to myself, I'm not going out. Uh, but then I thought, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to man up and uh, I'm going to go out and, but I'm going to talk to her tonight and ask her, can I do something else the next day? So we get out of this boat or we, we, we get out of this meeting and um, 
myself, Pastor Ricky, an interpreter, a boat driver, we all go to the bottom deck of the boat and we get in a smaller John boat that we're going to go across the river to see the first house in this village. And I sit down in the boat and I'm all kind of grumpy, right? Because uh, again, I don't want to do this because I'm so uncomfortable. And... Oh, I can put myself in your shoes like already. Like, I know I appreciate you being so transparent because like you're being honest. That's how we really feel. People just don't say it. Like, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. thank you. And, um, so uh, we get in this boat, I sit down and then um, Pastor Ricky comes and he sits down in the boat and he's fidgeting before we shove off. And, um, and then he stands up. And he jumps back out onto the dock. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he goes, you got it today. And I'm like, oh, what? Oh, man. What do you mean I got it? And he's he's like, you saw what I did the previous two days. You handle it on your own today. And, oh, my goodness. And, and Josh, this is exactly what I said. Because Pastor Ricky and I talk about this uh, often. I said, please don't leave me. <laughs> So oh. now I'm with an interpreter and uh, uh, whose, whose name is Nelson Campos, and he's still with us to this day. And uh, I'm with a guide and I'm with a boat driver. And uh, we're driving across the river now in the small John boat to reach this house on the other side of the river. And uh, I remember this uh, vividly. Uh, you know, there's these times where you get so worked up that you're not sure if you're going to throw up or uh, possibly something worse. So I got this nervous sweat going on and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to have to talk to people. I'm going to have to pray with people. I've never done this before. And uh, so halfway over, I realized, hey, I already saw Pastor Ricky do this for the last two days. I'm just going to mimic what he did. And I'm going to just repeat exactly what he did. So as we're pulling up, I'm drenched in sweat now. And it's not because of the heat. While it's hot, it's because I was so nervous. So we pull up to this house and this super cool, super wonderful Brazilian couple greets us at the edge of um, the, the bank by their house. And their house was partially flooded already. So we had to walk across a plank to get in their house. And they welcomed us so warmly. And this little Brazilian woman looks at me and she goes, are you thirsty? And I'm like, am I thirsty? Are oh, you yeah. kidding? And I want to tell you, Josh, prior to this trip, I never thought, I never knew, I never even took time to understand that there's a world water crisis, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I've lived a relatively privileged life Uh for most of my life, where if I was thirsty, I took a cup, went to yeah. my refrigerator and filled it, or I just went and bought a bottle of water. I had no idea yeah. that people had to drink from unclean sources of water. So this lady asked me, am I thirsty? And uh, so I said, yes. And uh, I expected her to go in a refrigerator yeah, <laughs> that didn't exist and get me a bottle of water that didn't exist. So as I'm looking around for the refrigerator where she's going to get my bottle of water, I see her go into her kitchen. 
that was also flooded with water. And she grabbed two cups. They were mismatched and they were cracked. And I'm like, hmm, she must have one of those five-gallon coolers outside somewhere. Oh, yeah. So she walks outside onto this dock area, Josh. And I'm standing in the doorway and I'm watching her bend down and she now takes two cups of water out of the river. <laughs> I'm in the doorway and I'm like, what in the world is she oh, doing? My goodness. So I, I have this thought that, uh, nah, she's not going to make me drink that or expect me to drink that. But sure enough, she walks back in hands me one cup and my interpreter, Nelson, the other cup. Unstuck Coaches hates it when movement and progress in a person's life or business is stuck or frozen or slowed or just stopped altogether. Well, we have found a solution. Unstuckcoaches.com They offer a variety of coaching services to get you or your business moving again. Check out unstuckcoaches.com. Oh, wow. What did you do? I mean, what even? Because you're going to make her mad, mate. You're going to make her mad, maybe. if Exactly. Because on one hand, if I drink this water, I'm going to spend the rest of the trip in the bathroom. Yeah. If I don't, She's going to think I'm rude because I just told her how thirsty I was. So I'm sitting here pondering this decision, looking at this glass of water, and there's literally things swimming in it. And uh, so I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm just going to take a little sip. How bad can it be? Yeah. And then I see out of the corner of my eye, I look (laughs) at my interpreter, and my interpreter's got his finger up in the air, and he's waving it no, and uh, he's whispering don't do that. So here's at the first point in my life where the gravity of the world water crisis starts to set in. I, I now realize that this is all these people have to drink. Oh my goodness. And, and this, this isn't like something like, um, uh, you know, eating, eating bananas, you know, I like my bananas kind of green, um, and it really seems like a tragedy if I have to eat yeah. them with brown spots on them, right? This is a little different story. Water is water. I mean, we all need it. It is a pretty necessary thing after oxygen. Yeah. Um, so this is the first point I realized, oh my gosh, there's people in the world that this is normal. Oh. And it, it just started to weigh on me. And I felt this weight on my chest. And so as I'm sitting here now, I, I now realize I can't drink this. So um, uh, the next thing that happened is probably one of the most mm, uh, landmark things mm-hmm. uh, for this entire story. So I'm sitting here holding this glass of dirty water with things swimming in it. And prior to this day, Josh, I will tell you, I've never been in the business of hearing the Lord's voice. It's not, it's not my thing. Or maybe I should say I don't listen. Um, uh, uh, either way, it's, it's just, uh, and honestly, when other people had told me, 
they heard a word from God, I, I would always be like, really? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as I'm sitting here holding this glass of water, I heard two words. And those two words were very, very clear. They were help them. Hmm. Help them. But at that point, it came with no instruction. Did you there know no- at that time, Chris? I mean, did you know there was no like, was that my thought? Was that whatever? Did you know pretty clear like, okay, that was clearly from the Lord? Well, uh, I, I'm going to tell you just how uh, how I thought that that happened. Okay. I yeah. looked around. Oh, okay. I looked around as if somebody was saying that to me, Josh. Okay. And um, I knew immediately who spoke those words. Yeah. And, um, but again, it came with no instruction. What does help them mean? You know, am I supposed to cook them dinner? Should I, should I hug them? Should I give them 20 bucks? What, what, what does help them mean? So I left there that day with this burden of help them on my heart. And um, uh, Savannah, I went home from that trip and we uh, get home and I start telling Sherry and our son Griffin about the story of this trip, what happened, telling other people. And I tell them about this help them thing. And they people start asking, so what does that mean? What are you going to do with that? And I'm like, I really don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So um, a few weeks later, uh, one of the guys on that trip uh, is a veterinarian, and he was running the medical clinic um, that when where we were serving at. And um, so I called him up and I said, hey, Dr. Casey, of all the people that you treated um, in those medical clinics, can you tell me? How many were treated from some issue dealing with um, drinking unclean water? And he goes, oh, that's easy. All of them. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, you saw like 150 people a day. And he goes, Chris, they're drinking from the river. That's what happens. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, every single one of them is drinking from an unclean source. And almost every single one of them presented with symptoms of waterborne disease, which could be skin rashes, could be headaches, um, could be runny stomach, um, mm-hmm. a multitude of symptoms. And he said, that's just how it is. So this is the second time where I start to understand the gravity of the problem, Josh, and uh, this world water crisis. And, um, uh, and, and maybe I start thinking that this is what help them means is I'm supposed to go there and drill a well or bring a filter or, you know, import a case of water. I I don't know what this means. So, uh, at that point I start researching the problem and I start trying to read everything I can about this world water crisis and start to find some stats, right? And um, I came across this one stat from the World Health Organization, and they cite that 785 million people lack access to something that I've taken for granted most of my life, and that's clean water. 
So I start researching more and I, I find out that diarrhea is the leading cause in death in children under five. And every day, 700 kids die Good from gracious. water that is unclean. 700 kids. And it's easy for us, uh, for, for many of us to think, oh, that's somebody else's kid. But where you, you, that starts to get super heavy is, what if one of those 700 was mine? Yeah. And he died from something that is so easily preventable. Yeah. Uh, and then as I'm continuing my faith journey, I start to understand that there's like 3 billion people in the world that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's when I understood the problem, but I didn't understand what the fix was. Right. And so I'm searching around, I'm praying, I'm trying to figure out what does help them mean? What am I supposed to do with this? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to uh, just go drill a well? And um, so in the beginning, this mission started out a little more humanitarian, yeah. right? With that thought of how do we help people have clean water? Um, so uh, in 2014, we went back to the Amazon and uh, we brought 80 of these filters uh, that I had found this filter called, uh, it's made by a manufacturer in Tampa, Florida called Sawyer Products. And I brought 80 of these back down okay. there because I thought, man, a well is not going to work well in the Amazon because the water rises and falls so much that if that well gets flooded, it's going to be contaminated. And what's the point then? And so I started looking at a bunch of water filters. And then one day, Sherry and I were at REI, a camping store here in Dallas. And we come across this Sawyer water filter. And I thought, man, this thing looks cool. It attaches to a bucket. It's super simple. It looks like you can clean it so easily. And so I bought a couple of these and um, brought them home and played with it and then started to read the lab testing on it. And again, at this point, I'm working a full-time secular job as a business consultant. Sherry's a full-time nurse, and we have two young kids in the house. And so I was so intrigued with this filter that I said to Sherry, hey, I want to conduct an experiment with our family. I said, oh, great, yeah. We, we are going to drink out of Lake Ray Hubbard for a week out of this <laughs> oh my filter. Goodness. And, and Sherry goes, you know, she's a nurse, right? And Sherry goes, what? Are you nuts? <laughs> yeah. And so I showed her the lab testing and she goes, okay. But the first hint that the kids get sick, it's all on you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> So Did you notify point, Sawyer yet? I mean, that you were, you were going to be testing it this way? I mean, I guess oh, the no. lab results said, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I read the lab results. And, okay. Uh, I mean, the lab results were so, so remarkable. I mean, this filter removes contaminants down to 0.1 micron. And yeah, it's amazing. So what that means, it's at the bacterial level at that point. So we drank out of this filter for a week from Lake <laughs> Ray Hubbard. Time out though. What is your what did Savannah and Griffin say about that too? Were they on board? Like, let's oh, do it. they thought it was cool. Oh yeah, they, <laughs> we're because they, they told all their friends, "Yeah, we're my dad's making us drink lake. lake water." Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Okay, so the, so y'all drank it for a week. Yeah, so we drank it for the week, and by the end of the week, Josh, we couldn't tell the difference 
if the water was cold between that and the Ozarka that we had delivered to our house. That's crazy. Wow. And um, nobody got sick. And so <laughs> experiment passed. Um, so at that point, um, we brought 80 of these filters in 2014 back to the Amazon. And um, uh, again, I thought this was just a humanitarian project. I thought we'd go maybe to the Amazon once a year and hand out filters and frankly make ourselves feel good. Maybe what help them meant. Uh, so we go on this trip, go to this village, and um, uh, the village maybe had um, 20 homes, and we we probably had 60 people sitting in front of us. And I went over this whole litany of uh, things that I wanted people to know, why they're getting sick. I showed them pictures of bacteria and parasites and <laughs> Make sure explained they it yeah. at a scientific level right and uh uh and then at the end of it i gave people their filters showed them how to use it and people were like jumping for joy and they were so happy and i felt so good about myself and then at the very end of this thing everybody else is packed up they're on the boat and i'm having some last conversations through an interpreter with the crowd and uh, this Brazilian man comes up to me and he asked me a question that changed everything. So he goes, hey, listen, can you tell me how you got to our village today? And I'm like, yeah, that boat and that captain, that's how yeah, I got yeah. here. And he's like, no, 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 no. Of all the villages in the Amazon, how did you come to ours to help us? And I thought, why in the world is he asking me this? I don't know how to answer this. And then I was like, well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And we felt that you needed this gift. And this gift is exclusively from Jesus. So the next thing he said, Josh, is really what changed everything for me. This guy goes, who is this Jesus? Um, uh... So and this is what I did. I literally turned around and looked for the pastor, right? So yeah. I'm turning around and I'm like, hey, where's the pastor? And Because I need that pastor to tell this guy about Jesus right now. Because, you know, I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm a business consultant. And uh, while I have Jesus in my heart, I have no idea how to tell him about Jesus. I can't stand on a rock and preach. So at that point, uh, there's nobody there. So I decide I'm just going to share this guy or share my testimony with this guy. I tell him about the car crash and I tell him about Jesus rescuing me and how he's a friend that will never, ever leave me. So at that's, this point, this Brazilian guy goes, how do I have that? How can I have a friend that will never leave me? So I shared with him the plan of salvation. Yeah. And I shared with him about confessing that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and th that that is his path for salvation and about repenting of his sins. And he's like, I'm ready. I want that right now. And as wow. he said that about 40 people behind him said, yeah, we want that too. Oh my goodness. So that's the day that we realize that this Sawyer water filter while it saves lives physically, we realize 
that it can be an eternal tool to save lives also. Because the people that get the clean water, the illustration is not lost on them. Because most of them have never, ever seen what clear water looks like. They think that their water is brown and muddy. They think that's normal. And you think about that, Josh, and you're like, wow. If I thought that muddy water is normal and then I see clear clear water, I think I might want to sit there and listen to what these people are saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, my so goodness. It really becomes a door opener. And so what we saw that day is that people's hearts were softened through this process. And they all had their water filters in their hand. So it's not like we leverage the water filter. Okay, we're going to give you this water filter. Yeah, if you yeah. receive Jesus, right? They already had their water filters. They wanted to know about Jesus. So um, that became really the foundation of what was originally an effort just to bring some water filters to Brazil. And now it's a ministry and the water filter, which again is a wonderful tool to save lives physically, becomes a tool to introduce people into a relationship with Jesus. Man, that's so powerful. So unbelievable. And I just think about the Lord's hand and getting you on the trip. I mean, the car crash, getting you on the trip, you not really being interested in being there and discipling you, you know, and, um, you give, giving you the filter, just so on and so forth. But at what point did you become, so when you came back in 2012, did you form a nonprofit and make it a, you know, a ministry at that point? And how'd you start gathering your team and people? Was it just you and your family to begin? Talk a little bit just for a minute on the, you know, on the organizational side of it, because at some point, I mean, you heard the Lord clear enough for where you just jumped. I mean, you you obviously had to set your business consultant stuff aside or do it in conjunction with it, but you were all in, it sounded like. Did you form I was a- all in, but I didn't know what I was all in on, Josh. That's the problem is um, I didn't quite fully understand what all in meant. So from 2012 to basically the end of uh, 2018, I worked my secular business consulting job full-time and I worked ministry full-time. So I had two full-time jobs and it was basically just me meeting people in Starbucks and telling people the story about what happened and how I want to use this tool to reach people for Jesus. And we started to make more trips in that period of time. And uh, we started to open up other countries. I thought it was just going to be Brazil forever, but God opened doors to Uganda and Kenya and Haiti and all these other places Um, so, uh, at the end of 2018, it became clear that this thing was growing at such a level that I was either going to have to decide, uh, that I was going to hand this off to somebody else, or I was going to take this on full time. So Sherry and I, uh, obviously were praying over this and we got a very clear word from the Lord, uh, that this was the path I was supposed to be on. And I quit my secular uh, job that I had for 35 years and jumped into something I knew nothing about. Um, And uh, I think in 2019, I also got licensed as a pastor through my home church. And so 
my life change at that point was pretty remarkable. And my family was supportive. Sherry was amazingly supportive. And so um, that was my path, but the ministry's path was even more remarkable. And um, since inception, uh, we have been blessed to really, uh, in, in every single year since inception, we have doubled the amount of people that we've served, and the Lord has doubled our donation revenue that has come in. So, And uh, that is a sign that I believe he's with us. Oh, man. Well, I, I mean, I have questions even about like the team. Like, who did <laughs> you, who started coming along? How'd you get a, a small group around you initially? I mean, you were doing this for about six years and then you made it official, official. And you said you had 100 people in, you know, in, in one Africa campaign. Right now, right now. In one campaign. So mm. just talk a little bit for us business people and like organizational kind of guys who want to yeah. know like, okay, how did the Lord do this through the team? Well, um, I now know that uh, people are attracted to being able to see where God is working. There's a great quote by Henry Blackaby um, and he wrote experiencing God. And in that quote, Henry says, watch and see where God is working and join him in his work. And that quote is very important as I've been able to witness that with the team aspect of this. So in the beginning, I didn't know anything about ministry. I didn't know anything about building an organization. But what I think I was pretty good at is telling stories. And I listened to these stories that my grandpa told for years and years. And uh, at the end of his life, he started telling the same story over and over and it got so good. I thought I was watching a movie on television. I mean, the story was that vivid because he told it so well. So I think I had that experience with my grandfather. And I thought, um, man, I'm just going to tell people about what's going on. And I didn't even ask people for money. Frankly, I think I'm a horrible fundraiser. So all I started with is told them about what God's doing through this work. And I believe that people were attracted to that because they wanted to be part of where God was already working. Again, the quote is watch and see where God is working and join him in his work. So I believe that people were attracted to that, Josh. And so that started a foundation of core volunteers. Okay. And okay. Um, I think some people joined with me just to see if I could pull it off, honestly, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. they're like, hey, listen, man, you don't know anything about this. Uh, your background is totally different. And frankly, um, we're a little surprised you're still alive, um, but, but we want to see if you can actually pull this off. And so in the beginning, I think that's how a lot of it started. And then uh, as we made trips uh, internationally, God brought us people as well and brought us wonderful people that to this day are still serving with our organization that they wanted to be part of the work as well. And um, I, I think that even in the business world, um, you know, you form relationships with your staff. You know, we see all these business mantras and books that don't get too close, you know, this and that. And I'm telling you just the opposite. 
I'm telling you that if you get close and you love people well and you're part of their lives, that people will want to be part of this work. And I think that's what we've experienced as a um, as an example of the bucket ministry and how we've been able to scale with volunteers that turned into a paid staff person that turned into now we have um, seven paid staff people, two of them being part-time in Dallas. And then the rest of the people globally that we support are all, you know, in a variety of 12 different countries. How, I mean, how many volunteers do you think or people connected with it, just kind of working with the organization Sure. Do you guys have, uh, you know, over the last 10 years, I've lost count on how many people the Lord have brought to us, but full-time volunteers. Now I would say roughly 14 and, um, and, uh, these are people that they're giving us 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And that is an amazing thing that I cannot explain or fully articulate my gratitude for people joining us in this work, because here's the, here's the, 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 the secret about me, Josh, I'm flawed. I've got all these cracks, right. And all <laughs> yeah. these fissures in, in my personality, in my experience, in my ability to execute a mission, but God brings people that fill in those cracks and fill in those voids in my personality that complete this picture and that's exactly what he's done in this case. And um, we are blessed by that with the volunteers. And, you know, uh, uh, I've really been speaking to the Lord a lot lately about volunteers because I want to understand and find the right way to honor the people that yeah. have dedicated all this time to grow in this. And of course they want to remain humble, right? They want to serve and just be the hands and feet. They don't need anyone to know who they are, but I also believe it's important to uh, respect and honor what they have donated. And they're, they're no different than somebody that writes a check. They're just writing a check with their own physical labor and time. Yeah. So thank you for all you people who are listening and have done that. What a blessing you have been. Well, tell us, I want to ask about how we can support the bucket ministry. And then I want to kind of land on um, the time that you literally almost died in Africa, if you're okay with sharing that story. But sure. first, can you tell us like, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people who would really love to support um, what you guys are doing. What is the Absolutely. best way to do that? Well, there's a multitude of ways, Josh, and of course, you can find the most relevant information on the bucketministry.org, but um, we we tend to operate off of uh, four different areas, areas, with the first one being prayer. We have an intercessory prayer team that prays over the needs of this organization hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, and uh, we have... Uh, intercessors that are praying over uh, like text groups. We have intercessors that are praying every Thursday at 3.16 p.m. on Zoom. We have intercessors that are praying over email and engaging that way. So we believe that prayer is the first and most important part of what we do. Um, uh, so that's the first of those pillars, let's say. 
Then the next one would be uh, giving. And that's obvious, uh, or it should be obvious for most of us, because at the Bucket Ministry, we work from OPM, Other People's Money. And um, uh, we respect that and we honor it. So it costs us roughly $50 to provide generational access. So 20 plus years of clean, safe drinking water through the Sawyer water filter, a bucket, antiparasitic medicines, three follow-up visitations for each recipient family and a Bible if they don't have a Bible in their heart language. And that's $50 roughly? Yeah, $50. So so less than we can take our family to Applebee's and have one meal without an appetite, we um, we can provide access and hope the hope that comes from a relationship with Jesus and access to 20 years worth of clean water. So, um, and uh, because of a very simple tool that we have that we call mission mapping, uh, every single filter that we put into the field, we are able to show donors if they want to see where their donation has gone, we're able to show them the exact GPS location, pictures of family, And we can show them on a map of the families that they have served. And then every time we do a follow-up visitation, that photograph gets updated with a new photograph. So it's a lot like child sponsorship, but in this case, you're sponsoring an entire family for $50. So So let's take a quick diversion on that, Chris, for a second. Is there a way that uh, maybe non-donors right now, is there a place where we can look at the mission map or is that um Absolutely. make a donation get a you know do a filter help a family out and then get access to that because that's really i think a really 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 cool and very unique i've never heard of something that um the metrics like that where you can literally go and see here's where all the filters are here's the visitation here i mean you can see your results immediately yeah so on uh, again on the bucketministry.org you can look up mission mapping or recipient mapping And you will be able to see a live picture of every place since 2019 where we placed a filter with GPS pinpoints. And then uh, if you're assigned a sponsorship, so let's say a donor says, hey, I want to sponsor 10 families in Kenya. And so here's $500. We will create them a dashboard. And that dashboard will show actual GPS pinpoints of, of where they live. And it will show um, a picture of the fam- family and brief introduction to that family. And so uh, you can find all that information on the bucketministry.org. Um, and mission mapping is a, is a proprietary tool that we use to be able to hold ourselves accountable uh, and create internal report cards for the work that happens. And we're able to see all of our field partners in real time, what they've done, the discipleship lessons that they've taught, the the discipleship videos that they've shown from the Jesus Film Project. We're able to map that out and start to create analytics to measure, um, are people getting healthier physically? Are they getting healthier through Jesus? And uh, so that is a very awesome tool. And uh, a lot of people are just blown away with that. And, and again, that uh, was just a gift from God that he allowed past experiences 
to be able to understand that we need to create a system of accountability. Wow, that's so amazing. We 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 talked about praying, we talked about giving. Yeah, now yeah. the next part is going. We run probably six to eight trips that we call bucket list expeditions that uh, we go into active campaigns that we are already working and we bring uh, either teams from churches, individuals into the field, and we show them where God is working and allow them to be part of that work in whatever capacity they want to. So uh, we can certainly take people into the field. And then the last part of this, uh, the four pillars that we work from is what we would call telling the story or sharing the story. And it's just what we're doing today, right? We're sharing God's story as how he works through ordinary, uneducated, untrained people, as we see in Acts 4.13 with Peter and John. Um, uh, so uh, can you help us by uh, making an introduction and, and you know, getting us in front of a Bible study class so we can just share the story about where God's working? Um, so that's a big part of it. So it's either pray, give, go, or tell. That's and, amazing, Chris. That's and all so those amazing. can be... Absolutely. Thank you. And all those can be found on the bucketministry.org. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's a I lot to take in, my friend. Man, I'm just amazed that um, I really am amazed. Um, I appreciate your heart and like the way you've approached it and just your, your honesty about the Lord just walking you through and growing this thing through you getting all the team and what he's done. It's about him clearly. And about, you know, I mean, saving lives physically, too, and spiritually. It's just, it's unbelievable. Um, I was actually showing um, um, a little, some video I found on the bucket ministry, some of my kids, and they were, you know, they save a little bit for give. And they're like, I want to, you know, so they're in. I mean, I just I think it's amazing what you're doing. But um, so cool. Thank tell you. us, let's, let's land the episode. I want to hear about, I'm glad you're still with us. <laughs> so uh, you almost lost. Uh, a battle to COVID in Kiberia. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. And uh, that that is um, a story that's near to my heart. And um, so in 2021, uh, I took a team uh, into Kenya to work in the Kibera slum. And uh, roughly three days into the trip, I got sick. Um, I tested positive for COVID. And uh, that was at the point that you could not come back to the United States without a negative COVID test. That was at the the height of uh, the uh, lockdown. And uh, so at that point, I knew I was going to have to stay. The rest of the team was fine. They didn't test positive so that I wanted them to leave. So um, the team left and I was uh, in Kenya by myself with COVID and honestly thought I was just going to walk through this. And you remember that whole thing we talked about, Josh, about driver's seat versus passenger seat. And this is a constant struggle for me where I have to be reminded to move into the passenger seat. And um, this was probably the the mother of all reminders. So um, as I stayed there by myself, I got sicker and I got sicker. And um, my wife was extremely concerned. Uh, I went to um, two different hospitals in Nairobi. They would not admit me. 
And uh, they said, sir, there's people a lot sicker than you. And I remember one night I, uh, I woke back up at about 11 p.m. I'd gone to bed earlier, woke up and uh, I had 104 temperature and my pulse ox was 78. Oh so I called goodness. Sherry and um, I said, hey, uh, this is going on. And she said, you go to the hospital right now. And you say you demand a chest X-ray. And um, so uh, Nairobi was on lockdown. And I had to call an ambulance to get me to the hospital. So the ambulance pulls up and they take me to the hospital and uh, pull me up to the uh, emergency room door at the hospital in Nairobi. And the hospital was called Agu Khan. It was the highest recommended hospital. And uh, I'm laying in the ambulance and they've got me on oxygen and um, I can hear the driver's conversation with the nurse that comes outside. And she goes, we've got no room here. You got to bring whoever you have there to another hospital. We're overrun. And the driver said, and I heard him clearly, this guy's not doing too good. I'm not sure he's going to make it to oh another hospital. Oh my goodness. And so that was a comforting, <laughs> that was oh, a wow. comforting moment. Um, so she's like, okay. But if he needs to be admitted, we can't take him. So they bring me in. They put me in this special room with special airflow, sucking air out of the room so I don't contaminate anyone else. And I see a doctor and they take my temp, take my pulse ox, and they listen to my chest. And they said, well, sir, you're no worse than anybody else here. And honestly, there's people here a lot worse than you. And we have no room. So here's what you need to do. And I said, I'm supposed to get a chest x-ray. And they said, we don't think you're bad enough for a chest x-ray. What's a so normal that, pulse ox? What's a normal pulse ox anyway? Like 96, 98, you yeah. at 70 something too? Oh 78. My oh my gosh. So, um, uh, so the ambulance guys, I have to call them back. They take me back home and uh, I managed to fall asleep. And the next day I tell Sherry about this and she said, I'm coming. And the reason Sherry wasn't on this trip originally is uh, her passport did not come back from being renewed in time to be on this trip. So um, I, I said, I said to her, what do you mean you're coming here? You don't have a passport. And she said, I'll be there. And it was like, it, it was like, there was no discussing this with her, Josh. So um, she starts preparing and she gets a ticket even before her passport came back. And she was supposed to fly on like Friday and she had this horrible path because she bought the ticket last minute. And um, uh, she gets off from work and she takes FMLA leave for this to come and uh, come to Africa and uh, I remember the day before she's supposed to leave, I talked to her on the phone again, and I'm like, how do you plan on traveling without a passport? And she said, I'll be there. Oh, my. What a faith, too, really. I mean, and later that day, Josh, her passport came in the standard mail. Oh, my goodness. So she gets on this plane. She takes this horrible route through Chicago and New York and finally gets to Kenya. And uh, I remember uh, I had I wanted to hire a car to bring me to the airport, 
But when I hired this car, I said, now, listen, I need you to go to the airport with me, but I need you to pick me up first. And by the way, I'm going to pay you more because you have to carry me. So I'm about 250 pounds normally. And um, uh, and at this point, the the upper respiratory, the COVID pneumonia was so bad, I couldn't even walk to the bathroom anymore. And so, so how long were you? So this is the airport, Tom. How long were you in the? Your location in country. in country, like down and out. Yeah. So at that point, I'd been in country probably a week and a half, okay. two weeks. Wow. Um, by, yourself, by yourself, just in the. By myself, stuck in this guest house. Oh, man. Uh, and that was all boarded up and they didn't let me around other people. So 24 hours a day, I'm by myself. And um, I mean, I prayed a lot during that time. Uh, so. But anyway, back to picking Sherry up. So um, uh, I hire this driver. He carries me into the car. We go to the airport and he's literally got to help me walk to the terminal so we can meet Sherry as she's coming out. So at that point, um, I see her and I just have this sense of relief, Josh, that I can't even describe to you like now everything was going to be okay. And it's almost just like when we were in the hospital and I received Christ, right? And uh, I knew that when she was there, everything was going to be okay. So we go back to the we go back to the guest house. The driver brings us back, and she ends up staying in a different bedroom because I didn't want her um, to have that extra exposure near me because I thought I was a COVID hot mess and. Um, so the next day we wake up and um, uh, we search around town. We find some extra medicines. We buy a nebulizer. She starts me on nebulization. And that next night we go to bed and uh, I wake up the next day about 4 a.m. And I'm sweating. I'm shivering and I can't move. I'm paralyzed in bed because I'm shivering so much. And I try to call out to her to get her attention in the other bedroom. But literally at this point, my air is like a breathing out of a straw and I'm panicking. So it's, oh, and I'm trying to gracious. suck in as much air as I can. And I'm literally, I'm drenched in sweat and I'm shivering. So I managed to roll off the side of the bed and now I'm kneeling on the bread, bed, like how we pray, right? Yeah. And, because of that position, I could get a little more air and I called to her and um, she comes running in from a dead sleep and she looks at me, looks at me, what's going on. And she doesn't remember this part, but she hit my back so hard with her open palm that it knocked something loose and what was going on inside my chest. And then she grabs the nebulizer, slaps it over my face and starts getting this medicine in my lungs. And uh, after about 10 minutes, I'm able to now breathe a little bit better wow. and a little bit better and a little bit better. So I will tell you, if she was not there that night, I would have been called home. Yeah. There's no wow. doubt. So wow. fast forwarding, fast forwarding this story uh, over the next few days, I go through a multitude of other testing, other opportunities, uh, trying to get home. Um, and I keep on getting positive tests, positive tests. So in the period of the month, I was stuck in Kenya 
I got five positive COVID tests. And uh, so at this point, um, you know, we're getting close to that month long period and we decide Sherry's going to have to go home. I mean, she just has to go home. She's got to go back to work because my health is a lot better now, but I still got a positive test. So um, we decide that uh, we're going to get her a ticket to go home. So we called the travel agent, get her a ticket, and she's going to have to be tested to go back home. And so I go with her, of course, and she's like, once you get tested, and I said, I have no appetite to get another positive test, right? And I'm like, I, I don't want to do this. And she said, let's just get, let's get a test. So we go to the testing facility, we wait in line, we get a test, and then we're driving back to the guest house. And she's like, I want to stop and get another test. And I'm like, I'm exhausted. Can we just go home and rest? And this is how she said this, Josh. We're going. (laughs) That's perfect. There there was no question. I'm like, okay, we're going. (laughs) So we go to a second hospital called Nairobi West Hospital. And I get tested there. And then we go back to the guest house. We have dinner. And then uh, we... um, uh, uh, we're getting ready for bed and, um, uh, I, I get it. I get an email to my phone and, um, I open it up and I see it's from the first testing facility and I open up the test and I see Sherry's test and it's negative. I'm like, yeah, great. She gets yeah. to go home. Right. And then I open up my test and it's positive again. Oh. And literally, uh, and uh, I'm going to tell you this, she wanted me to go home as much as I wanted to go home, right? And uh, that was probably one of the roughest nights for us as a couple. We literally cried ourselves to sleep. So I wake up the next day uh, early again, and I look at my phone instinctively. I don't have my glasses on. I look at my phone, and I see the other testing facility, Nairobi West set test results. And it's early in the morning. It's like three or 4 a.m. And uh, so I open it up and I open up hers first. And because this is a duplicate test and I'm thinking, well, hopefully hers is negative too. And sure enough, hers was negative. And I'm like, good, she gets to go home. And then I'm like, I don't even know if I can take opening another test. So um, I sat there for a few minutes and finally I clicked on mine. And Josh, I'm telling you, I I clicked on that test and then I made it bigger on my phone, right? <laughs> and I thought it said negative. I thought I read negative, but I'm like, I, I'm scratching the sleepy out of my eyes, right? And I'm looking for my glasses. I put my glasses on and I read it again and it says negative. Oh, wow. And I'm like, this is the greatest moment of my life. Oh my life. gosh. And and so now I'm pounding on Sherry's door and I'm like, it's negative. It's negative. It's negative. We get to go home. And um, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I called the travel agent. I'm like, Mr. Wizard, get me home. Absolutely. He manages to get me the last seat on Sherry's flight that we had booked a couple of days prior. And uh, so we come home and so what do we do with all this, Josh? What do we do with all that we've learned? What do I do with it as, as this guy that can't get out of the driver's seat? What does Sherry do with it? And because we just went through a pretty big lesson, 
we believe it's a massive blessing. So for me, and I can't speak for her, but for me, um, I look at this and uh, I prayed a lot, man. I prayed uh, in some cases, I bet you I prayed 20 hours a day. And I prayed that the Lord would get me home and I could wake up that next day and be COVID negative and I get to go home to my family. But what I learned is he answered this prayer in 1984 when he introduced me to this girl in high school. Yeah. He answered my prayer when he sent this girl through nursing school. And she got to be a nurse and take care of people with same conditions as I had. He answered this prayer in 1993 when he allowed me to marry this girl. And so he had answered that prayer, but not in the way I prayed it, right? And so uh, the lessons that have come from that are understanding that uh how we want prayers answered are obviously not the way they're always answered. And I've learned how to permanently set myself in the passenger seat and let him drive. Thank you, Chris. Wow. That was powerful. Well, I'm, was I'm powerful. blessed to tell the story, but I'm just a te- storyteller. So we just need everybody to understand that this is his story that he's written and we're all called to bear witness, right? There's maybe one or two instances in the Bible that we can see that we're called to witness. Yeah. And uh, so I'm just telling his stories. And it's the same thing that you are dealing, doing with Storyfield, is you're bearing witness to what God is doing through ordinary people. Well, I appreciate you making time. You've blessed us. And everyone, check out the bucket ministry. We'll be sharing it in uh Let's help get more clean water and opportunities to talk to people about uh, the living water, Jesus. And uh, and we bless you. So thank you for making time today, Chris. Absolutely. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for joining us on this latest edition to the Storyfield podcast. We hope that you have been challenged, inspired, and ready to take that next step, whatever that is. If you know someone with an amazing story that needs to be heard, send us an email at info at thestoryfield.com. Have a fantastic day, and we can't wait for you to join us on the next episode of The Storyfield.